Hello and welcome to the Principal Liner Notes podcast. This is Sean Gaylord, and I am very proud and grateful to welcome back Elizabeth Damp. Elizabeth, welcome. It's great to have you back on the podcast. It's so great to be back. Thank you for having me. It is always a a pleasure because as as you 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 shared right before we I hit record, we we just hit the ground running. Um, we, we, we were already getting into some good stuff, talking about your, your second book and, and some other, other ideas and, and thoughts. So, um, here we are, um, you know, on a Monday, on a Monday evening, and, uh, I'm just real grateful for, uh, the, the kind of the quick connection that, that, that we've had. So, and I know listeners, uh, and viewers of this podcast, uh, are definitely in for a treat. I hope so. So um, the last time we we spoke on the podcast, we talked about uh, one of your um, your pieces for ASCD. Uh, you are a regular blogger and contributor for uh, for their their organization, and and your latest, um, just like the, the 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 last last summer when when we talked, really struck deeply within me as as an educator as a veteran uh, administrator, and um, I, I, I reached out and, and, and we're having this conversation. Uh, it, came, uh, it, it, it came out January of, of 2024, last month, and it's entitled The Paradox of Administrator Burnout. And I, I guess my first question, because I'm always fascinated by your thought process, your insights, the, the the depth and reflection that you bring to to the conversation is what compelled you to write this piece? Well, I had done a lot of research for a previous article on teacher burnout. Um, and in, in my research on this article on teacher burnout, I came across this concept from Harvard Business Review uh, that burnout, and it, it confirmed elsewhere actually in, in many sources, but that burnout is not an issue with an individual person. It's an organizational issue. And that that actually was different from what I had assumed about burnout um, prior. So I think like a lot of people, I had thought, oh, burnout is like a, a personal thing. It's something that's wrong with you. You need to do better mindfulness. You need to get some healthy habits. You know, you need to take a, a mental health break and step back. Um, but as more and more research comes out on the issue of burnout, we're realizing that it is an organizational issue. And uh, this Harvard Business Review article points to and uses research from some leading experts who've identified five organizational sources of burnout, including things like uh, little decision making ability, few prospects for promotion, toxic environment, you know, and, and more unreasonable work expectations and more. Um, so as I discovered that, uh, I, I realized, oh, okay, so if burnout's an organizational issue, then it's incumbent on leaders to try and have a burnout strategy to prevent burnout and to address burnout rather than to finger wag at employees and say, do more yoga. Um, and we don't think about it that way. Yeah. But then I thought to myself, well, what if you are the manager or a leader or an administrator in an organization, but you yourself feel burnt out? So there's, it's a paradox because on one hand, you're the leader in theory, you are holding all of the reins and you should be able to do something about the burnout. But if you're experiencing the burnout and maybe you don't have the positional authority within your organization to do a thing about it, 
most of us are somewhere on a pyramid, right? So people above us maybe have power and we don't, or maybe they don't even have power and we're all just stuck in this cycle. So you could simultaneously be a victim of burnout and the organization that causes it, but also being put pressure on yourself or putting having pressure put on you to fix the burnout of other people. So it's very double-sided. Um, and then I think administrators too are in this uh, unique situation where very few administrators have as much unilateral authority as people assume that we do, because we work in this large network, um, you know, that has all of these other constraints and demands. So it's not like I can just flip a switch and make all these decisions that would solve burnout for teachers. So it is paradoxical. And the more you think about it, the more of a quagmire it becomes. Quagmire is a good is a good way of, of of framing that and and there, you know and, and when I read this I, I I had the same assumption about burnout like it's some sort of external force that is that is driving the individual or there it or or it's or burnout is driven by choices that an individual makes be be it okay I'm not eating right or I didn't. I didn't do yoga or, or, or I, I, I don't walk in a field someplace. Um, and, and, and the fact that there is a, there is an organizational or, or systemic thing. So, you know, is, is there a trend that, that we're seeing across the lines? I know you touched on, on some of the things in the Harvard article, but, you know, just in talking with leaders, do you, do you see that there is a trend that, that is causing this paradox of of administrator burnout do you see do you see things happening that that kind of recur sure um the one that really resonated with me was unreasonable work expectations uh, as being one of the primary drivers of burnout and it's tough because as a leader but particularly a school leader i think there is pressure some of it self-inflicted some of it societal some of it organizational mm -hmm. that we must be able to do everything and we must be good at all things. I mean, if you think about, for instance, a principal, an assistant principal has to be an instructional leader, great at responding to behavior, a budgetary manager, a building manager, also an innovator, so many things. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, in, in prior years, it was okay to be a dilettante and just kind of good at all of those. But not anymore. You really do have to have a deep, serious knowledge of so many things right now. And uh, made me wonder, is that reasonable over the long term? I mean, I just don't know how long, and I'm not a principal right now, so I don't know, but I just don't know how long a person can sustain that level of expectations, um, particularly if there isn't an organization to support the developing of all of those skills. Um, so there's that's I think that's the driver that when I think about leader burnout, that resonates the most with me is unreasonable work expectations and then an organizational structure that just fuels and piles on and adds more and more and more unreasonable expectations. Yeah. And, you know, speaking as as a principal, I totally get that and understand that when when I've talked with folks that are in, in corporate America or or in in the business world or anything outside of education, um, they, they almost find it absurd when, when they, they find out the number of people that a principal is responsible for supervising and evaluating all of the things that are on a, on a principal's plate, um, day-to-day, -day, you know, school improvement plan, 
visionary, in innovator, building manager, you know, all, 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 all of these things. It's also very similar too to, to the multiple hats that a teacher has has to wear as 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 well. And and you know, sometimes, you know, as a principal, uh, you know, we'll say, well, man, I didn't get into the classroom today, but you know, hey, we got the furnace fixed. You know, same thing with the teacher. You know, man, I I, I didn't have an opportunity to deliver curriculum at this level, but because I had all 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 of these things, and and it 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 does seem in this current framework and in 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 our system so counterintuitive. It it it, it all, and and people will be absurd. You know, say that this is absurd. Um, uh, a project manager has seven people th that directly report to them. You have fifty. You know how much is your budget, and you know it. It's it. I, it's 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 frustrating, I guess. Um, well, and on top of that, I would actually say it's the pressure on the system as a whole. I mean, realistically, if you look at what schools are expected to do and the role that schools in general are expected to play, it we really are. I mean, pillars of society, cornerstones of the neighborhood. I mean, pick pick whichever simile you, you want, but it's there's so many um bases that schools have to cover uh there's a social safety network aspect there's definitely a mental health and a behavioral aspect there's obviously student learning and then there's being engaged in the community itself right so there are so many things that schools are expected to be and do and really i think for a lot of communities the schools are meant to be everything to everyone right and I don't say that that's a bad thing, but what I do say is that with the current resources that schools have, including human capital, it might be an unrealistic thing. Yeah. And that, you know, and we, when we listen to teachers talking about, um, and I'm supposed to keep snacks in my classroom for kids who are hungry and be a mental health expert and be able to like work with whatever kids are coming in with, be a trauma expert, be an equity expert, mm -hmm. also do serious differentiated instruction, which I may or may not have gotten a good basis on in my teacher prep program. It's, it's a lot, right? And then they look at what is being asked of them relative to the preparation that they had before, relative to the professional learning they get during, um, relative to the just ongoing sympathy and support that they might expect mm -hmm. given how much is asked of them. And that's that's one area where I think we don't necessarily consider, but really all educators, teachers, administrators, related services staff, right on over to bus drivers, nurses are all in the same boat where more is getting piled on, nothing is getting taken off. So of course there's burnout. And 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 you so deftly place that in 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 your your piece where where, where you write because you go through a whole litany of things that 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 a um that a principal or school leader is is responsible for. They may or may not have the power to address organizational issues triggering teacher burnout and they generally can't control salaries, teacher workload or social respect. In many places, their hands are tied when it comes to addressing student behavior, state mandates, and other drivers of, of teacher frustration. Here's the punchline. Leaders can feel pretty helpless, actually. If you broke down when you read, it's now on you to build a burnout strategy. I get it. That, I, I my, my highlights were very deep. Um, in in the article uh because I, I, I printed it off um it's now on you to build a burnout strategy uh let's unpack that 
Well, teacher burnout, I think, is the thing that has gotten the most attention in the media and also in the education industry. So if we then look at responses to teacher burnout, I think we have found a pretty tall stack of things that don't work. So one of the things that's angered me the most about the last few years in our response to teacher attrition has been that we respond to burnout in such trivial, demeaning ways, right? Think about like breakfast buffets and little trinkets and, yeah. you know, oh yeah, you're going to have some demeaning little morale booster icebreaker kind of a party. So we, I think we've learned through experience that we need to do better and we need to have a bit of a strategy for teacher burnout. Unfortunately, I just don't know that there's been either the time or the resources or frankly, the ability of a lot of administrators to come up with something better. So if burnout's an organizational issue and you're trying to figure out what what is causing the burnout, so everything from you know, poor promotional aspects to a toxic workplace to um, unreasonable work expectations, administrators can't just wave a wand and say, ah, you no longer need to attend to student trauma or mental health. And, you know, you for sure, I'm, I'm just going to eliminate half of the work that you need to do because some of it can't be eliminated. Some can. And I think that the schools that are responding to teacher burnout well are looking at what can we take off teachers' plates. But that's a team decision. And it takes everyone in the school or the district to agree, we're going to remove some of the useless paperwork. We're going to stop asking teachers to prove that they're doing their jobs and spend more time proving that they're doing their job than actually doing it. Mm -hmm. um, it. It takes a lot of consensus of a leadership team in order to have that strategy in the first place. But if you're a vice principal somewhere and you don't have unilateral authority to enact every change that you think might be good, you're still feeling the pain of teacher burnout. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what's frustrating is that you can sit there and have all the good ideas you want, but a lot of districts either don't have the the social impetus to make some needed changes um, or they don't have enough consensus among the leadership team. And, and I think fear is part of that too. You know, I, so when we're talking about doing something that is going to upend some part of the organizational framework, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years of this is how we've always done it. Um, there, there's fear. You know that, and 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 whether it's the leader, whether it's who the leader reports to, you know how the organization is is framed. You know, and I I I I think about you know innovative companies and innovative organizations that move and and ebb and flow a whole lot differently to get an innovative result. Schools don't necessarily do that because it's so entrenched. And, and, and you have folks that, that uh, are satisfied, I think, with, with, with the status quo, but the satisfaction is happening at, at, at such a high cost to, to teachers and, and administrators' humanity. I agree. Well, and I'll, I'll push back just a little bit, Sean, on one thing you said. I agree that there is a certain amount of we've always done it this way, so that's the only way to do it in education. But honestly, one of my favorite soapboxes to get on is that change leadership has been the only form of leadership for yeah. two decades, really since NCLB. And I think that when we have this model of being a school or a district leader, where if you're not constantly innovating and aggressively pushing for change, then you're you're a bad leader somehow. There's this, and I'll talk about a paradox. There's another paradox, right? So change leadership is the only leadership. 
And schools are stuck structurally in doing things the same way that we always have. For instance, by having a top-down leadership model. Mm -hmm. For instance, by the way that we make decisions as like a delicate balancing act between different stakeholder groups. It's not the only way of doing things, but it's it's the way that we pick. And then we're surprised at when a principal rolls in with an improvement plan and staff resists because they know that statistically the principal will probably be gone in under five years. So we and that's yet another model that's always been that way. And yet we we get surprised. We're like, I didn't realize there was going to be resistance to this change plan that I came in with with no experience in the school. Yeah. Um, yeah, Elizabeth, this this hits on uh, on a because you hit on this actually in our last meetup on the on the swivel adaptability and education uh, panel that 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 we did a, a couple of weeks ago, and I remember you saying the same thing. Like there is this kind of paradox with change leadership that and that for yeah. for for someone like me going back early in my, my, my principalship, that was like the thing. And, and we studied John Connor and, and Michael Fullen and Anthony Muhammad. And, and we took, you know, those, those pieces of, all right, this is, you know, we, we guilt people into change or we, we shock people into change. Yeah. You're going to have your, your early adopters. So this is how, how you build capacity there. Yeah. You're going to have your, you know, and then, and then your laggards and, and, and there was, and there's this kind of, and there were, there literally, dozens of books out there on that it's the same thing it's the same approach um but but uh yeah no i, I appreciate that pushback because it it's again that's a whole that's a whole nother that's a whole nother blog post my friend that's a whole nother paradigm soapbox i couldn't i couldn't not say it but um you know, you, you'd also mentioned humanity, right? And as, yeah. as we talk about this whole, the different paradoxes that leaders find themselves in, yeah, I think that one of the missing conversations is leaders' humanity. So whether it's because you're trying to be a change leader and you're coming in and you're sincerely motivated by a belief in the innovations and you're doing everything right and you're following what the books tell you to do and everything, or whether it's the issue of burnout and you're trying to help teachers deal with the burnout that they're experiencing while also combating your own, we keep ignoring the fact that leaders are humans. And I do say we collectively, as in all of us together, right? So there's for sure the angry parent on the phone and everyone who's a stakeholder in your district and your teaching staff and your administrative colleagues, and frankly yourself, are going to forget that you are also just a person and that you have the foibles and that you need the grace and that you, you know, maybe uh, can't do everything with a smile on your face as you wish you could. I'll tell you a statement that that I often find jarring along those lines is and and um, when when a problem would arise in, in whatever level of my my principalship uh, over the years and a statement would, would come, you know, people would see, usually one of two statements would happen with principles. Well, I'm glad I don't do what you do. I get that a lot, you know, or that's why you make the big bucks. And then, and then, Hey, I've, I've, you know, it's a little bit of a jab. Um, well, it, it, it does echo to the fact that what you said, like there, there's a level of humanity, um, that that we all share and that we all carry and 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 again this kind of template that we've been hanging on to of the superhuman the superhero 
uh, principal leader that comes in to save and then jumps on tables and sometimes may may literally wear wear a cape and 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 we we you know we pat ourselves on the back because hey we're doing what it says in the book or we're doing what what we saw Hollywood said is 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 is, is change leadership or or what have you and and and, and to your point there are many ways uh, to lead and there are many ways to compel uh, action, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily, and not, and not to negate all of those other fine folks that have created great things, but there's, but yeah, there's, it seems like we subscribe to one, one school of thought. So, so how does a principle, and again, this podcast is very intentional, um, because as I'm speaking to you, I'm also thinking of that principle who is alone, who, who doesn't have the connection to an Elizabeth like I do, or a connection to a professional learning network, who, who may not even have the time or, or the funds uh, or the wherewithal to, to, to be connected to ASCD, to find good content coming from folks like you. So, so for that principle who is feeling isolated, who is feeling that their, that their humanity is broken because of this systemic funk that that we're in what what's a step what's what's a way out uh or what's a step that that one can take to get to get out of that or to get or to get towards um a better mindset yeah way out sounds too existential for a monday night um i would yeah. say there's there's a uh, start doing and stop doing. So I would say that the yeah. stop doing for me is do not humor or engage in toxic positivity. I had talked a little bit earlier about how irritated I am by these trite surface level responses to burnout and how demeaning that attitude of here's a keychain or a t-shirt or we're going to have a lunch party or something mm -hmm. is to teachers to suggest that serious problems that they have with the system can be solved with something like a fruit plate. Um, I think toxic positivity is that. And also it is the, you know, positive vibes only just smile you through it. And, um, you know, like pushing for like rah, rah, you know, surface level team spirit, um, and encouraging people rather than to talk about their problems, to bury them and instead focus on something positive. So I think at every turn to combat toxic positivity, to redirect it. You know, if you see people who are pushing for that, just keep a smile on your face and it'll be fine, you know, or, or using trite um, glittering generalities when responding to something that's serious, redirect it. Um, invite people who are expressing concerns to actually express the concerns. Yes, obviously uphold professional standards, but still allow them to be honest about what they're going through and respect the fact that that's what they're going through. Um, and then resist the urge to just use platitudes to cover something that's really important. So redirecting toxic positivity. And I think the other thing, and this, this is probably one of those, if you are an experienced leader, or if you are a very reflective practitioner, you can trust yourself to be honest about what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And obviously there are nuances, right? So sometimes you're thinking things at work that you shouldn't say, that is a fact. On the other hand, 
if, for instance, you yourself are feeling exhausted or you yourself aren't sure what to do or you yourself are maybe feeling a little bit negative, even if that means, well, you know, I'm I'm pretty tapped out today, you guys, or I just, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm feeling really drained. I'm feeling really frustrated by what happened or how that particular issue was handled. Or, you know, it does make me angry when I see X, Y, and Z. To be able to say it in a professional manner, I think is a gift that you can give yourself and your staff. Um, so when I'm able to, instead of saying the correct answer or the party line, just say like, here's what we're trying and I, I don't know how it's going to work out. And I mean, I'm going to do my best. And of course, I'm going to be professional. And of course, you know, if this is the direction that mm. we're going, I will support it. But I will tell you, I have some reservations and here's what they are. Um, or if you're feeling something as a person to act like a person instead of putting a smile on your face and just blasting through it like you're not a person, yeah. which is a great recipe for lashing out or burning out. Yeah, I think as as you write in your piece, modeling empathetic responses and, and with empathy comes a level of, of self-awareness and you got to work that muscle, you know, a lot. And, and, but then also being in tune, really tuning our ears um, to the language, to the vibe, um, to, to, to the room and 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 just being real in a professional way um also reminds me too of um uh my 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 friend uh lauren kaufman uh who had 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 shared with me in a conversation it may have been one of the either on the the, the swivel panel or a conversation i'm not sure because we talk quite a bit uh she, she mentioned the four agreements book and how one of the things that she really tries to live by is being impeccable with language. And, and again, that, that whole notion of, of, of being mindful of, of not only what you say, but how it's going to be received by others and being real with that. Um, there, there are many things here, you know, in your piece that, um, I wish I had learned in principal school because even, you know, some of these things 20 years ago when I was in quote unquote principal school, in my MSA program, not, not, not even, not even a thought being impeccable with language, you know, was be that instructional leader and, and, and stand on a table and, you know, run the PLC and, and get the buses in and out on, on time. So in terms of, of, of thinking about education or, or educational leadership programs, um, what, what, what would be a dream for a, a prerequisite for graduation or earning the certificate along these lines, you know? That's tough because, because um, my state, Illinois, tried something that sounded good in theory, uh, but ended up not working in practice, which was a full year internship. Ah. Um, it's like student teaching, except it had to be during the school days, so you couldn't also be a teacher. Um, and I got in right under the wire before they tried that one and then rescinded it. Uh, mm -hmm. But to answer your question, I think in terms of what would be a prereq, for me, a lot of it would have to be practical. Do you know, and I know it's hard because the most practical classes I took in my prep program were law and finance, but those are the two things that are the most likely to change. Mm -hmm. And so you, what you learn in 2014 might be obsolete in 2015, as in fact happened. Sure. Um, so. So that's hard, but I think practically taking a look at something like, all right, 
So teachers are asking for something to be taken off their plate and your turnover rates are at 20%. So you really do have to meet that need. How do you assess what to take off their plate? Mm -hmm. Or you have to make an improvement plan, but you also don't want to break anyone's back. How do you do that? Or you're standing in front of an angry mob because you're rolling out something that people don't like, but you have to do it. How do you manage your emotions and also the emotions of the people in the room? Like some of these real situations that you know people are going to encounter, right? Like who hasn't had to make a change plan? Whether you want to or not, whether you're a natural innovator or not, you have to. And everyone ends up in front of the angry mob. It's a normal meeting one minute, and then all of a sudden there's torches and pitchforks and you don't know how it happened and you have to respond, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think some of these just like practical um human aspects of leadership right like managing emotions that's kind of off the cuff what i would do yeah but i but i do appreciate the notion of of the humanization of the leader because there's just so i mean there's a lot of like i said i mentioned earlier there's a lot of movies and hollywood hype you know i don't know of many film representations of principles that have gotten it right there's a lot of comedic things out there um but this notion of, of 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 our humanity and and being and and having the grace to to express that humanity in in a in an honest and organic and sincere way, um, I think is 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 very important. I tell you, Fred Rogers and Mister Rogers' Neighborhood was a big <laughs> is still a big uh, influence on me and in, in shaping my leadership in terms of that empathetic and visible listening and and being impeccable with language and being honest and acknowledging, acknowledging, acknowledging that in the room. Um, I know you've written and we've talked about imposter syndrome, uh, which, which is a topic that um, is, is, is close to my heart. And I know very close to the hearts of, of, of many, of, of, of many leaders, but, but we talked a little bit about a correlation <laughs> before we pressed record. And I, I do want us to touch, uh, touch upon that in terms of, this paradox of administrator burnout and 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 it's and this connection to this manifestation of imposter syndrome which i know you're you're currently writing your second book about but i would love i would love to hear your words on that and your thoughts on that i think the two really they feed on each other so mm. as an administrator i think when you have that moment where you admit to yourself you know what I'm getting very burnt out. I mean, this burnout thing that teachers are experiencing, yeah, it might be me too. And then it's easy, probably because of our own unrealistic expectations. And I think a lot of the cultural depictions of what perfect leaders are supposed to be, we then assume it's my fault. I'm burnt out because I am not good enough to be a leader. I am not you know, I'm not saintly enough. I'm not self-sacrificing. I don't love my team enough. You know, I'm um, somehow flawed emotionally. And that's the thing that's making me a bad leader. And uh, the interesting paradox there is that ultimately, if you're having those thoughts, it is a sign that you are in fact a reflective practitioner. And also you then think the burnout is my fault and maybe I should get up yeah. early and do more yoga or something. Um, a thought which I truly have all the time, even though I make fun of it constantly. So if any listeners are experiencing that, like I just need better self-care, I don't know if it's the answer, but you're not alone in wondering it. Mm. Um, 
And so I, I think that the burnout and the imposter syndrome, unfortunately, feed each other. And you figure that if you were somehow more motivated or organized your time better, that you wouldn't be going through this. But then those also fuel the burnout in that that deficiency mindset that you have of yourself then makes you feel like you're every single day you're coming in a little bit behind and a little bit further behind. So they have kind of a damaging interaction with each other that where both one makes the other worse, I, I'm afraid. Yeah, agreed. I know in, um, I think it was one of your pieces last that came out last year, maybe the year before uh, you had shared shared with me anecdotally the the response um, that, that you had gotten uh, from previous posts uh, being very visceral and your inbox was filled. And uh, what, what's been the response to, uh, to this uh, recent piece? I have had a few people reach out and say, it's wonderful to have someone just say it. Um, you know, and I, I think that as we look at administrators generally, whether they're dealing with burnout themselves or whether they, you know, are just struggling with where they are in their career, a feeling that you can't just be honest and just say what's going on is one of the main issues that we're dealing with, right? So people typically when they write in, no matter what the article, it's thank you for saying what everyone is thinking, but too afraid to say. So I think the cut through the BS is something that all of us want to do more. Um, you know, and if, if I am proud of anything, I guess it's that I don't, I don't have a hard time just saying it. Um, and it comes down to, you know, what I said earlier about if you're a reflective practitioner and you can trust yourself to just say what you mean in a professional way, it will be fine. And also you might help someone else too. So the response really has been, thanks for saying what I'm feeling and putting into words something that's very hard for leaders to say. Um, yeah. Well, it's kind of like the last, the, the last section of, of your, of your blog post, you know, navigating the paradox um, to me, and, and I wrote the word reflection and because I think that's, that's something that we as leaders, we as, as educate, whatever, whatever level, like we, we don't spend enough time carving out real reflective time, um, in the, in the scope and sequence of, of, of our day, you know, Google has that whole 80, 20 or 90, 10, whatever that thing is, you know, the, the genius hour. Um, you know, we, we, we hear about other industries where, where, you know, folks are given active time to, to just simply reflect and be, but the nature of the gig, and again, getting back to the organizational uh, framework is it's, it's nonstop, you know, uh, if, if I, if I don't get all of these, um, walkthroughs done by Thursday, my, my, you know, it, it's, I'm in trouble or teacher, if I don't, if I don't get to, I'm a history teacher. If I don't get to the Civil War by November, then they're not going to be able to to pass this this test or what have you. So, I, I think the time to reflect. And again, I'm I'm just kind of I'm I'm wrestling with this, with this in real time with you because because it is such an important and timely topic. But but I do think it's important, whatever it may be, that if it's five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, for that self reflection, and then. To as I think as a as a principal to to engage others in in your schoolhouse, man, I've been wrestling with this thing. What do you think? Um, how can, how might we? Um, but I I really took this last last bit where you where you laid it out. Don't beat yourself up if you and your staff are all feeling burned out altogether. 
but do spend some time working to create a more open environment, one in which you can name and improve the root causes of burnout one at a time. Yeah. And, you know, it's so tough because as I'm listening to you talk about reflection and how hard it is to carve out that time, I don't want that to turn into another thing that people are like, and now I'm not reflecting enough. Yes. Yes. Thank you. But then I, I can think about even like professional learning opportunities where I've been an attendee along with other leaders uh, and the the entire room is thinking the same thing. Emails, emails, emails. I have mm-hmm. to get back to the building. And the time has been carved out for us. Yes. And we have someone coming in to encourage us to reflect on our leadership and we cannot drop it. So then I thought, well, okay, but when when have I really reflected? And it's two times. Number one, when I completely botch something, which is fairly regularly. So this is not an issue, but oh. when I like in something and then you know the whole car ride home like you don't even play music or a podcast you're just like i'm so dumb why did i do that why didn't i say that why did i say that why did i respond that way but then you learn, even if it's in a painful way so there's a bad kind of reflection the other time that i reflect is as you said when you have a friend or a mentor Mm -hmm. or a coach or just the person in the office next door where you just get that moment of like i need another brain to help me work through this yes even if that person is not in the same type of role but like having a good ear to just say things to sometimes helps you reflect in maybe a more um healthy way than when you're beating yourself up and in maybe a more authentic way than when some leadership expert is coming to tell you what to do while your inbox is exploding yeah that's um i mean that's a good simple first step i mean having another good ear to or another brain to 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 share with um to just you know and it could be anybody it could be in that physical space it could be you know in the ASCD space or whatever PLN space um podcast you know what what whatever it may be you know so and again I'm 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 kind of speaking as I'm speaking to you I'm also speaking directly to that 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 principal or school leader who is struggling who is swimming in it neck deep and not knowing how, how to get out of it. So, um, there, there's always a good ear, you know, whether, whether it's Elizabeth, myself, um, whomever, whomever it may, it may be. I mentioned a second book, Elizabeth, and I want to give you an opportunity to not only talk about that in closing, but also to talk about your first book, which I was very honored to, to preview and, and endorse. And I know that's going to be coming out in the next few months. Yeah, I'm super excited. So uh, the first book is a little bit more, um, I guess, structural and systemic and informational. Uh, It is about how to deal with turnover and to make your internal school systems resilient to turnover on the assumption that turnover will happen. Mm -hmm. So that is called Dealing with Turnover, and it'll be out in May. Uh, And then the the second book, which is maybe more germane to what we've been talking about tonight, is going to be called Climb the Ladder, um, How to Regain Your Confidence During Doubt-Inducing Situations. The subtitle I probably botched, but you know how subtitles go. Um, So the second book, Climb the Ladder, is uh, sort of about avoiding the trap of imposter syndrome and climbing the ladder. In other words, getting your way out of scenarios that shake your confidence. So I'm pretty stoked about that because I will tell you, um, it's organized around eight different scenarios that leaders face that give us imposter syndrome. Um, So the mob mollifier is one of them, what we talked about tonight. Mm -hmm. 
just different different things that you can do when specific situations arise to help overcome your doubts. Um, so I'm it's just telling Sean earlier, I uh, the thoughts are coming faster than I can reasonably write them um, because it's it's so relevant and I see it every day and every day I just I get new ideas for it. So that should be out uh, if not later this year, very early in 25. I can't wait. I really can't. I'm so excited about your first book that'll be coming out. And uh, I look forward to um, adding that to to my bookshelf and, and the second book as well. And even with the growing research on imposter syndrome and, and all of the ramifications and this kind of ever-shifting um, paradigm that we're in uh, right now, I, you know, Maybe maybe there's a volume two of, of that imposter syndrome, you know, book waiting to happen after that. I'm just saying, you know. Well, unfortunately, something tells me that it's not an easy fix. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I kind of suspect that this is something that stays with you. So fresh inspiration will probably come. Speaking of which, and, and for those that, that are not viewing uh, the podcast, and that's OK, we all learn and experience uh, this the, the episode different ways. I always love talking to Elizabeth because she has the best backdrops. And, and I, I just, being a book nerd and a bibliophile myself, I always appreciate um, the, the books that are behind Elizabeth um, in, 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 her, in her library, her home library space. Um, I'm, I'm always wanting to, you know, what, what's on that shelf and, and what's that, did you, you know, so I, I, you don't want this one because this is my husband's bookshelf. I had to, I needed the outlets. And so I had to, so now we've got, let's see, the Decameron, some Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Chuck Palahniuk. It's, mine is all Norton anthologies. We've got like a mishmash of postmodern stuff over here. Hey, so, sounds like my kind of stuff, you know, be, <laughs> being a postmodernist and, and having taught a course or two on that. And uh, I, I know you being an English teacher as well, we, we all, uh, I, I have a few well thumbed through copies of, 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 of the Norton anthology, but I, I'm all, I always have to bring that up because I was, because I remember there, there was the Elizabeth side of the library and then there was the husband side of the library, both together, right? Cause it's the same space, correct? Yeah. It, it is the same space, but um, we're one of those couples that has so many books. So we have the his and the hers bookshelf. So it's <laughs> he's a history guy. So yes, there is the biography of Paul right next to um, some Italo Calvino. It's just all everything together. But uh, yeah, as the English person, mine is very um, feminist theory, film theory, 18th century literature, 19th century literature. I'm a little, little more organized that way. Gotcha. Very, very, an, an eclectic taste. So I, again, I, I love books and I always love your, your take uh, on it. Um, for folks that want to um, connect with this piece, again, the name of it is The Paradox of Administrator Burnout. It is available through ASCD. If you go to ASCD.org and, uh, and check out the website there and check out the ASCD blog, uh, where Elizabeth has made several um, just sharp, spot-on contributions to to the conversation uh, that that is education. If folks want to follow you, Elizabeth, what's the best way? Um, probably on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Both of those are just under my name, Elizabeth Damp. So you'll find me, and I'm eager to connect. Wonderful, and I'll be sure to put put those links in uh, in the show notes. 
uh, for those that are interested. Again, I highly recommend um, that you you read uh, Elizabeth's work, specifically the latest piece, The Paradox of Administrator Burnout. It is, it is again, just like this conversation, it resonates. Uh, you're given many ideas and thoughts to, to marinate on. Elizabeth does that very deft way of... Um, of pushback to get you to stretch your thinking just a little bit and, and, and to challenge whatever status quo that, 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 that you're hanging on to. And she does it in a very affirming, uh, healing provocative way. Elizabeth, again, you are welcome on this podcast. Anytime when the book comes out, when book number one comes out, we'll, we'll have you back on. And then book number two, I have already asked to preview and I can't wait. And, and when that comes out either later this year, 2025, uh, you'll be back. And I'm sure in between, um, as, as we continue our conversation, our, our, our collaborative conversation, you'll, you'll be back on in some way, shape or form. Well, I hope so, Sean. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Wonderful. Folks, this is the Principal Liner Notes podcast. As I, as I always sign off, don't forget to share with the world your dreams, your ideas, your hopes, your visions, and most importantly, your humanity, your humanity is is so valued and so needed uh you help make the world a better place and the world needs you so thank you elizabeth damp again uh we're signing off for now what a great way to end uh our monday evening take care